Well, good afternoon, evening, whatever time of day you are watching this, 7th graders, 8th graders, and 9th graders. Remember last week, you moved up a grade. Congratulations on being old. Uh, I hope you guys are doing well and having a great week. Uh, remember, uh, this past week, uh, we started small groups in a little different of a format. We're kind of in our, our summer format. Uh, I had three different Zoom calls, one for you rising 7th graders, one for you rising 8th graders, one for you rising 9th graders. Make sure you log on to those this Wednesday night, 7 and 9. Uh, we got some combined games and activities we'll be doing together. Uh, and then we'll be, again, be splitting you out in your small groups and hope that you can join us. Now, last week... Uh, we started going through the book of Ephesians. We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians over the next uh, couple months uh, in junior high. And as we looked at chapter 1 last week, it talked about all the amazing rich ways that God has blessed us, the way he's adopted us, uh, the way he's guaranteed uh, our inheritance, guaranteed heaven, given us the Holy Spirit, forgiven us, redeemed us, lavished all this abundant grace on us. Well, today... We are going to look at the first 10 verses of chapter 2. Like last week, I got a little reading sheet that's right below me, on, uh, right below this video, Rest in Bible Lord slash Youth Hope, right under that video of me uh, talking. There's a little reading sheet. encourage you to read that uh, along with us uh, as we are looking at Ephesians 2 and have that done uh, before our small groups on Wednesday. But as, as chapter 1 talked about all the, of the ways God blessed us, Today we're going to look at, at some of the purpose behind that. Why, why did God do that? Um, and what's the, the purpose of him blessing us uh, in our lives? Chapter 2 starts kind of dark, uh, but gets into so much of, God, of hope, so much of God's purpose for us. Um, I, I know I've mentioned this before, but uh, uh, if you listen to a lot of my, my teaching, if you probably go through all my sermons for the last 12 years, this chapter here is the chapter I've quoted more than any others. Uh, it means a lot to me, um, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. So I just kind of want to walk through it real quick with you today, just talk a little about a little application. We're going to dive into it uh, a lot more on Wednesday night. So starting in verse 1, it says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It starts off in really, really happy place. No. It starts off and says, you're dead. If you're dead, we think you're in a completely hopeless situation. No dead bodies do not any, have any hope, don't have any prospects for anything in the future. You're dead. Okay? It says, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. Um, sin, sin is actually a, an ancient archery term, and it literally means anything that doesn't hit the bullseye would be considered a sin. If you're in a competition, you're trying to go bullseye to bullseye, and if you didn't hit the bullseye, that would be considered a sin. And for us, as we look at our lives, anytime we fall short of God's standard of perfection for our lives, anytime we don't meet God's standard absolutely perfectly, that is sin. And it says all of us were dead or hopeless, uh, were spiritually separated from God because of our sin. And you might think, well, that's rough. But if God is a holy and perfect God, he can't let anything into heaven that isn't holy and perfect. Because if he lets something in that's not perfect, then heaven is no longer a perfect place. And, and again, you might think, well, that's really unfair of God that he would do that. Um, 
But actually, I think, man, I think the gospel, and it, as if we really understand it, is so, man, it's so loving, so fair, so so amazingly gracious of God. And and the standard that people want of like, well, it's about, it should be about my good works, how many good things I get, and good people go to heaven, good people don't go to heaven. Honestly, I would argue that is the most unfair system out there. And here's why, okay? Let's see, and, and if we were in the junior high room, I'd, I'd run over to the one wall and run over the other wall. You've probably heard this example before. But let's say at the end of everyone's life, God gave you a score a bit on your life. And you got a, a certain number of points for every good deeds, good deed you did, and you lost points for every bad thing you did, or anyway. And when all is said and done, you got a final score, right? And let's say your final score was a 71.9. Okay. However, in order to get into heaven, you needed a 72. You were 0.1% short. You know, man, if you had just, you know, not told that one lie to your mom when you were in seventh grade, you'd go to heaven. But instead, you were going to spend an eternity in hell because you told that one extra lie in seventh grade. Or if you had done that one other nice thing, one other good thing, it would have been all cool. But because you didn't do that one extra good thing, you're, you're, you've missed it. Maybe the standard is, uh, was actually 71 and you were good. Maybe the standard is 65 and you're fine. Can you imagine how honestly cruel that would be if God had some standard out there for you for who goes to heaven and who doesn't go to heaven, and he actually didn't tell you about it. He's like, well, you just need to do a certain amount of good things and not do as many bad things. And hopefully at the end, you've done enough good to outweigh the bad. Do you realize how unfair that would be? Because you're going to have millions of people that are going to get to the end of their life and they're like, well, I thought it was good. And you're like, "Uh, sorry, you were close, but you weren't there. But God wants to be really clear to you what his standard was. And he, and he continues, and he says, and really this is kind of the crux of the first few verses of Ephesians 2, is no one meets God's standard, okay? He, he's going to continue um, in verse 2, and he says this, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Uh, what he's saying here is... you. All of us, at one point in our lives, were following down Satan's path towards destruction. From when you were born, no one has ever, never one ever has to teach you how to be selfish. As a parent, I have to teach my kids to share, okay? I've never had to teach my kids, hey, don't share so much. Would you please stop that sharing? Don't be kind to every people. No, we know how to be selfish. And all of us, at one point in time, we're, we're there. And that's what verse 2 is telling us. We were all following Satan's path towards destruction. All of us also lived among them at one time, this is verse 3, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. What he's saying here is, is, at some point in our life, we are all gone and we've just followed our own desires and our own purposes. And, des- and our desires aren't necessarily all bad or evil. Um, some of my desires, well, hey, I want to care about other people. That's a great desire. But, 
a lot of my desires are very selfish and self-centered desires. Um, or we can get consumed with looking good, fitting in, being popular, whatever, whatever it is. And those are selfish desires that we have. Again, no one needs to teach you that. And the end result of that is we are deserving of God's punishment. We are deserving of God's wrath. We are a criminal deserving severe punishment. And that's, that's, our, that's our nature outside of God working in our lives. But I hope you know the rest of the story that it, it doesn't end there. And this is what I think is so cool and awesome about God. God's standard isn't just, hey, hopefully you did a good, good enough good stuff. But he's going to do something awesome for us. And he wants to clearly tell us what his standard is. And that's what he's going to do in the following verses. Before we get to those, just I want to, I got a quick side note. Um, if you have been, I don't know how many of you have been following the news uh, this week, uh, but there have been a lot of vigils, a lot of protests, a lot of riots um, over the issues of, of race and police brutality in our nation um, over the last week. Um, and these verses here in the Bible and other places in the Bible make it really clear where these, where these really terrible issues of racism and brutality come from. And that's the reality that we live in a world with seven billion sinful and selfish people in them. And the reality for all of us is we are sinners and we are messed up. And that, that sin inside of us is the source of so much hatred and bitterness. And you see a very fractured country around us. But as this passage is going to get into, and I pray that you would all know that every single human being is made in the image and likeness of God. Every single human being is hopeless without God. But God moved and acted in such a way to save any human being who would call on him, upon him, regardless of their national background, their race, their, any of those things, man. God is like, hey, I am pursuing you. And that's what he's going to get here. Um, and I would just encourage us in, in our crazy world that we need to be people that are a calming influence in this world, pointing people to the one true hope, and that is Jesus Christ. We need to say, hey, every single human being is precious in the eyes and sight of God. Every single being, human being is worthy of our respect and honor. I mean, we need to point people to that true hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's what he's going to get as he continues in, in verse 4, which says this, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Man, this is a, a, a huge, huge tr transition here. He's saying you are an object of God's wrath, but because of God's mercy, because he's gracious and kind, this is all of his blessings that we talked about in chapter 1, he made you alive with Christ. And that is a huge blessing that he, he's given you. He's saying, hey, you were hopeless and I bought you back from a place of, of death and destruction and, and hopelessness and brought you into, uh, into life, made you alive again. In verse 6 he says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And I hope you see part of God's purpose here. He's like, I made you alive 
in order that I could bless you more. I mean, how cool and rich is that? He's like, I want to show you my incomparable great love and mercy and kindness towards you for all eternity. And I mean, I just, I read that and I just, it blows my mind. And, and so you see, part of God's purpose in, in, in redeeming us is so that for all of eternity, he could express his kindness and mercy and goodness towards us. Looking down at verse 8 and 9, these are really popular verses. I'm sure a lot of you heard them, especially as it relates to what the gospel is. Verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. He's saying, man, the way that you and I are saved isn't because we do something awesome, isn't because we, we got a 72 on the, on the good or bad scale, Right? It's by grace through faith. It's by Jesus Christ who came to this world, lived a perfect life, and died on a cross for my sins and your sins. That's the grace, right? Through faith, through not me doing some really good thing, it's not a result of works, as it says here in Ephesians 2, but, but through faith, by me believing, yes, God, I believe you sent your son Jesus to live a perfect life, die on a cross, and rise from the dead. Because of my faith in that, and what he did, I'm saved. All my sins are placed on his account, and I now have Christ's righteousness and perfection. You know, if, if, um, if I were to stand before God today, for some reason I died today, and I was before God, and God said, Aaron, why should I let you in? I'll say really plainly, God, you and I both know I don't deserve to get in. I've done a lot of things wrong. I'm a sinner, and I am messed up. But I also, in this life, believe that you sent your son Jesus into this world to live a perfect life and die on a cross for me. Because I believe in that and, and, and the fact that your word says that that's what I need to do. That, that's what the test is based on. Not if I got a 72 on a score or not. But based on that faith, that's why I should, I should get into heaven. Now, what I want to focus on for the rest of our time, though, is, is the final verse that we're looking at today, and that's verse 10. For we are God's handiwork, or workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want to break a few words in this down. The first one is where it says that we are his handiwork, or his workmanship. Literally, the Greek word that's translated there is the word poema. It's where we get the word poem from. Um, and it's a word in the Bible that is only used to describe things that God has made. Um, they use a very different word to talk about the work of man's hands. This is only things that God has done. And so it, it's really saying this is better than anything that man can do. And he's saying you are God's design. You are something that he perfectly created. You are his masterpiece, his work of art, okay? You're not just some random, uh, you're not some product of random chance. You are God's skillful design, and it is greater and better and more awesome and more amazing than anything any man could design or even think of. You are a beautiful piece of artwork, this afternoon, I got to see some paintings that Ashley Light has been doing, and she is a phenomenal painter, okay? If you've never seen her work, you should, you should say, Ashley, you need to show some to me. I was looking at this. I don't, I'm looking at it I'm like, never in a million years could I paint something like this. I am so terrible when it comes to painting or anything artistic like that. 
terrible. Math, science, good. Art, um, anyway. I'm looking at it, I'm like, I would have no, no chance to do that. And, and he's saying, man, this right here, the way God designed you, is so much greater than anything any man could ever comprehend. You are God's masterpiece, his handiwork, and, and something beautiful before him. And then it says that you were created in Christ Jesus, right? If you look at any piece of clothing you wear, it's got the tag on it, or any, any item that you buy, it'll say where it's made, whether it's made in Vietnam, China, Taiwan, or whatever. And a lot of times, that's kind of a symbol of quality. And he's saying, you were made in Christ Jesus, right? And so you're not just, you don't have some little, that's not a little statement of quality, but the God, God himself, created you, designed you, you were made in Christ. And, and I hope you see the value and worth and, and the beauty that puts that, that God puts on you. If, if you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're saying, man, I'm worthless, God is saying, no, you are my beautiful masterpiece created in Christ. And if you're going to insult, if you're going to insult yourself looking in the mirror, you're really actually insulting God and his design and his workmanship and you're insulting Christ. If you're insulting your friend over there for, for the way they look or the way they act or any, any of those sorts of things, you're insulting God because he's the one who created you. And he says, you're my beautiful masterpiece. You're my poem that I have. And then he says, you were created for good works where God says, I have a Specific plan for you. And he says, I, I created them, or I just, I prepared them beforehand that you would walk in them. These weren't just random things, but, but he's already planned them out for you. And he has, uh, he has something planned for you. You're not a product of random chance. That, that phrase that, that we would walk in them or that we would do them is a Greek, uh, Greek word there, peripateo. Um, and it really talks more about the way that we conduct ourselves. It's, it's really saying everything in our lives should be about living out the purposes that God has planned for us. To wrap this up, I want to talk about just three quick ways how I think this should affect our lives. First of all, I think this should motivate us to live a holy life. If I'm God's masterpiece, if I'm his work of art, right? I wouldn't want to waste that. I wouldn't want to abuse that. Um, he created me for this purpose. And we're going to be talking more about this in future weeks, about authorities, relationships, the way we talk to each other. But I want you to see here the motivation for why I do these things is God's created me for a purpose. God says, you're my poem. And don't just take something beautiful and waste it. I don't take a, a beautiful piece of artwork and use it as a, as a dartboard, right? I know, you know, there was a whole bunch of toilet paper scares, but I don't take a, a $20 bill which has value and use it as toilet paper, right? Um, you know, it's like last week, I talked about the lady who had some jade uh, artifacts on her shelf and she just kind of looked at them and thought they were nice. And then later she finds out they're worth a million bucks, right? It'd be stupid of her to, to now say, hey, I know that's worth a million dollars. I'm just going to let a, a three-year-old play with them. They have value and so you treat them as such. And so we talk about holiness in future weeks. It's because and that we have value. That should be our motivation to be holy. And in 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about how we're God's temple, that he dwells in us. And because we have that value, we live holy lives, right? Um, here's something you haven't seen in a while. 
one of the trash cans in the junior high room, okay? This trash can in particular has gone through many a junior high events with me. Um, this trash can, I have actually witnessed multiple students throw up in it um, after eating baby food and other silly games and challenges we've done, okay? Um, this trash can here has a purpose for trash, for waste, and all that sort of stuff. And God is saying, I've designed you with a beautiful purpose. Are you going to sell yourself short and just say, well, I'll just do whatever trashy things I want. I just don't care. I, I, I can just become, I can become a trash can. God's like, no, I made you with something with great value. Why are you selling short and filling yourself with trash? God's like, I didn't make you a trash can. I made you a beautiful artwork. Why are you treating yourself like this? And again, we're going to talk about this more in future weeks, but our motivation should be that we are God's temple. Um, we are loved by Him, and that's why we live a holy life. Second way I think it should impact us, and again, we're going to be talking about this more in future weeks, is that it's no, it's no longer my life. I'm not the one in charge. And this is a thought that's really very contrary to the world. The world's like, hey, just do whatever you want. You should be the master and get to decide and do everything you want, however you want. But again, I think we're taking something valuable and claiming that we have the rights over it. Really, I should be asking, who died and made you king? See, I didn't die. Jesus died. He died, and because he died for me, he has the rights over my life. And, and I think this plays out the most, most of the time in the way we spend our time. It's not my time to spend. Jesus died for me, so I should be investing my time in things that matter. And finally, the way that I would say this impacts us is that God has an incredible purpose for you. You are of incredible value to him. You are not random. He designed you and created you with a purpose. And I would never want you to see yourself as anything less than that, than created for a purpose, specifically by the God of this universe. We're going to talk about this more in future weeks, but I want us to have this foundation in mind of the way that God created us for a purpose. He's richly blessed us and designed us for a purpose. You and I were bought with a price, with Jesus' own life. So we should honor him with ours. Let me pray for us. God, I, I thank you that even though I was dead in my sins and trespasses, you made me alive by sending your one and only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to live a perfect life and die on a cross for me, Lord. And God, I pray that that wouldn't just be something, some some intellectual fact that we've heard once or twice, but that would be practically lived out in our lives. God, I pray that that would be lived out in the way we, we, we see the value in, in the way we've crea you've created us. We see that, that we should be holy people. We see that we were created for this purpose, that it's, it's not our time in our lives, Lord. And God, I, I, just, I pray that we would be um, people who honor the sacrifice you've made for us in the way we live. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Hope to see you guys Wednesday night. Remember, there's separate groups for the rising 7th graders, 8th graders, and ninth graders. See you Wednesday.